Thanks, bud. All right. Good. Whoa, I already broke something. It's good to be with you. It's good to be back. Uh, on Tuesdays, Matthew, how do I turn the light on? It's okay. I can do that. Um, on Tuesdays, just before this meeting, Kyle and I always uh, get together. We have kind of a pre-meeting. Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, over at Grace Fellowship, and, and tonight a praise report out of that little meeting. As we were wrapping up our time together, we began to hear these laughs and these cries and these cackles, and there's a new women's ministry uh, that is starting up tonight. It's led by uh, Bob's wife, Karen Wells, and Kyle's wife, Chris, um, kind of heading up uh, a, a women's gathering uh, around the word, around the idea of making peace with their past, and uh, it was exciting just to hear that in the room next door. And then Kyle and I walked out of the office, and there's like a fellowship, what do you call it, the fellowship hall, and there's these tables, and there's tablecloths, and there's flowers, and there's doilies, and there was several types of salad on the table, and there were, I think I saw like lemon scones, and there was lemonade, and iced tea, and little sugar drops, and all that to say... It's so good to be with you dudes and greasy pizza in this hot room. Uh, the only thing is it smelled a lot better over there. I just, that's, that's the only thing I have to say. Um, last week, uh, we kicked off this year and the idea of, um, an idea that I think stirs around something that most of us have been feeling now uh, for a few years. And, and maybe every generation feels this, but a, a sense a word that we, we, we rarely talk about, but sometimes we say it, sometimes we whisper it, but I think it's a hope, is that hope of revival, right? That, that God is about something in our time, in this place, in this generation. Um, that's great. But we recognize in revival, if we're paying attention, that there is always a resistance, right? When the Lord is on the move, there is an enemy, and he will seek to hinder, he will seek to handicap, he will seek to delay the kingdom. Now we know who wins, but we don't want to deny the battle. And I think last year as we were wrapping up last year's study and we began to dream about and think about what this year would be about, uh, this idea came to the, to the leadership group of, of bondage. Those things that are holding us back, those things that are inhibiting us from seeing the advance of the kingdom, from experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, um, from being all in to what the Lord would have for us in this generation. Uh, and as, 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 as we think about that, um, Kyle got us started last week with setting up that this is foundational, this is ground zero for the work that we're going to be about, is separating true worship from idolatry. And tonight I'm just going to take another run at it. And it might seem redundant. Kyle uh, obviously did a great job for us this week. I'm going to look at it through a little different set of scriptures in a little different way. Uh, but we're going back to that place. Uh, and, and I'm going to try to clarify a few terms. And, and for most of us they are familiar. Here they are. Worship, idolatry. We've already talked about those. We're going to talk about the gospel. And we're going to talk about faith. And if you've been in church any time at all, you just checked out because you're like, I know what all of those things are, right? Worship, idolatry, gospel, faith. But, and, and let me say this, I'm not going to say anything new tonight. But my hope and my prayer is that we see these things anew. We hear them anew and we experience them anew as we walk out of this place. Uh, again, for a lot of us, these are familiar. Maybe for a handful of us, these are new. 
But I want us to to have clarity around them because in confusing times, and are these confusing times? Clarity is all that much more important and clarity comes from just one source, Jesus, all right? And so we're going to work through this tonight. All this is going to be centered around one central text. If I get nothing else accomplished tonight, I'm going to read you the same verse three times or the same pair of verses three times. So here they are. If you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Romans 1, 16 through 17. I'll give you just a second. Romans 1, 16 through 17. It'll it'll be coming around a few more times if you miss it on this loop. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to I ask you to join me in prayer. I want to I pray power into these words. And I want to hear some that stand out. Dear Lord, we hear in this scripture some important words, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We hear the word power, the omnipotence of heaven, the thunder, the lightning, the expanse. We hear your name, God, the source of life, hope, forgiveness, and glory. We hear the word salvation, deliverance from sin, disease, decay, and death. We hear the word everyone. There's no one beyond the reach of the gospel. In this place tonight, there is no one beyond the reach of the gospel. We hear the word believe, the single requirement for salvation. We hear the word righteousness, the end of our shame, which is found in a relationship with you, the relationship we are created for, the relationship we are hardwired for. We hear the word revealed. A message that is given by you, not earned or obtained by us. We hear the word faith. That which turns belief into action. That which turns words into worship. And so Lord, I pray tonight that we would hear these familiar words anew. That we would commit ourselves to them again. That we would know you and see you and love you all the more. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So... Kyle got us in this idea of worship. That's the first word we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, for most of us, we, we have a narrow definition of worship. And again, Kyle expanded that for us last week. But I'm going to be honest about my story. I grew up Presbyterian. And when you would have asked me when I was eight years old what worship was, worship was 30 women in maroon robes that were like 40 feet above the rest of the congregation. And they sang hymns at us. That, was what I, if, that would be my definition of worship. And then we had a, a bell choir. I've recently talked about bell choirs. So I think there's a bell choir at this church. But there was bells, and that was the worship bell choir. That's how I grew up, right? And then the church started to get shrink and get smaller, and you know, the elders got nervous, and so we hired Stan. And Stan wore flip-flops and jeans and Hawaiian shirts, and he strummed the car real gently. He's kind of beachy. And that was our new worship. And, you know, it was supposed to bring people in. Uh, my wife and I met at a, a mega church down in Orange County, Rock Harbor. And I mean, it was, it was Hume Lake every weekend. It was a rock and roll concert every weekend. And I thought, oh, this, this is worship. And then, you know, seasons and years go by and stuff like that. And I've told you the stories about the hipster church, but I joined the hipster church, right? And, and uh, it, was, it was all the same songs I'd been singing for years. Some of the old hymns showed up, the new rock numbers go up, but they were a little sadder and they were a little slower and they were a little out of tune and for hipsters that's interesting and nuanced and so we kind of pretended we liked it and uh you know that that was worship 
And then I, I move up here and I meet Henry and it's just a guy banging on a guitar and singing with all of his heart. And I'm like, no, that's worship. And then we got Seth and he's just bigger and stronger so he can bang harder and sing louder. And I'm like, no, that's worship. You know, too many of us, I think, or maybe I'm just talking about myself, think of his worship as, you know, the 15 minutes that warm us up for church. We've, we've got to break out of that notion. Because true worship is not a thing that we do, it is who we are. I want you to hear that again. True worship is not a thing that we do, it is who we are. And we are worshiping all day long. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, our purchases, our priorities, our passions, our preference, the purpose, all coalesce to form our worship. We're going to do what good Bible readers do, right? We're going to get an unadulterated picture of this from Genesis 1 and 2. Specifically, Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Hang with me as we read through this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. What is this passage telling us? How many times was everything or every in that passage? God is entrusting us. He's entrusted us with every good thing he has made. And what he's telling us is go and do good stuff with it. That's kind of the blue-collar version. Here's the good stuff, go do good stuff with it. But I don't want to miss the higher view of that. Yahweh, the Lord of Lords, the one true God, the King of creation, is inviting us to share in His reign, His rule over creation. Dominion, you heard that word in there, it's a royal mandate. And it contains a massive blessing and a great responsibility. It's a great gift. It's the greatest gift. And it invites a great response. Great gifts always invite a great response, right? Can you think of a great gift that you've been given sometime in your life? I was thinking about this week. The greatest gift in my mind was still my first new bike. You know, you get those hand-me-down bikes for a while, but at some point, maybe you got a new bike. And I, I remember going to Jones Cyclery, and I picked out a Schwinn Phantom Scrambler. It had two names. I don't know if it was a Phantom or a Scrambler. It said Phantom Pie Scrambler down low. It was metallic blue. It had a four-spoke plastic wheels. It had a BMX seat on it. It had a chrome handlebars. They gave me a nameplate. They asked me what year I was born, and they put 76 on my nameplate. And man, I rode, I rode the heck out of that bike because that's what you do with a great gift, right? You, you ride that sucker. A great gift invites a great response. And this, this great gift that we've been given... Everything, dominion, 
requires a total response. It binds up, it defines our whole life. All that we do, all that we are, is worship. Now you hear the good news there, right? You don't have to know how to sing or bang on a guitar to participate in worship. For me, that's good news because I can't do either. But you can see a problem in here if you're paying attention as well. Because not all of what we think or do or say or spend our time and money on is of the Lord, is it? So what do we call worship that is given to something or someone other than the Lord? It's audience participation. It's idolatry, right? It's idolatry. And we want to get this straight. Kyle led us down this road last week, but the fruit of idolatry is sin. Sometimes we think of sin as the problem, right? So we, 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 we white-knuckle our way out of this sin, and we replace it with a slightly not-so-bad sin, and we move sin over here, and we hide sin from ourselves, and we, and we eliminate apps from our phone, and we, we do what we got to do, but we're just, we're just kind of sliding pieces on the board. We've got to see the bigger picture, that, that sin is the byproduct of idolatry. It's when we give our time, attention, our focus, our worship to something other than God. So make status an image of God and pride and narcissism will follow. Make money a God and greed and corruption will follow. Make pleasure a God, lust and excess will follow. Make comfort a God, sloth and credit card debt will follow. Right? But make God God and peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, love, self-control. They follow. Now, it's not instant. It's a process. That process is called sanctification. It's what the life of faith is really all about. Learning to lay down our idols and lift our eyes up to the Lord. Learning to discern those false gods that would compete for our worship and focus on the one God who is worthy of our worship. And we can see the cross here. We can see the cross here, right? Because death comes before resurrection. And I want you to hear that in its fullness. There are things in you and there are things in me that must be put to death. But death doesn't get the last word because he's defeated death, right? He walked out of that tomb. And if you believe that, then not just someday, but even now, you are walking out of that tomb with him. You are escaping that idolatry and that bondage when you put your faith in Him. Amen? Are we getting a clearer picture of worship? It's not just hymnals and organs versus guitars and drums, right? Of idolatry. It's not just the golden Buddha behind the peppermints and the toothpick at China Wall, right? Let's take a look at a closer word. It's, it's the gospel, right? I want you to hear our central text again. Again, I'm going to read it to you three times if I get nothing else done. Romans 1, 16 through 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteous, righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, so that word, the gospel, is central to those two verses. Those verses stand on that idea of the gospel. It's, it's pretty central to everything in life, just... just as a side note, right? So we want to get it right. We want to get it right. So what is the gospel? One, one phrase answer. It's the good news about Jesus. Absolutely true. But we want more, right? And so, so we get this picture that you were created for, we get the four spiritual laws. Anyone heard these, right? 
crossing the college campus or at the truck stop or something like that. You were created for a relationship with God. That relationship was broken by sin. Jesus has paid for that sin. Put your faith in Him and be brought back in a relationship with Him and you get your ticket to heaven. In a sense, all those things are true as well, but they're less than complete. And I want you to notice that last version of the Gospel, it all centers on you. It's your purpose, it's your sin, it's your faith, it's your ticket to heaven. What I want you to hear is, is a, what I think a richer, fuller, more biblical version of the gospel. And it comes from a guy that Kyle and I have been reading, a theologian by the name of Matthew Bates. And he distills the gospel into eight points. I want you to hear him. They all start with this. Jesus the King preexisted with the Father. Jesus the King took on human flesh and fulfilling God's promise to David. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to many. He is seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And Jesus the King will come again to reunify heaven and earth to set things right. Do you see the difference? Here's the hard news. You're not the main character of that story anymore. But here's the good news. He is. Now let's be honest for a minute. Who's the more reliable main character? Right? The gospel isn't self-help. It is the rescue. It is the redemption. It is the reunification of heaven and earth. It is revival. He is making all things new, and you're one of them. It's all about Him. But because we are made in His image, because we've been given dominion, amazingly, astonishingly, we are privileged to join Him in that work, which we call worship, right? He's the King. The glory and honor are His. But our worship, and we know what that word entails now, our whole lives, our very being, all that we do and all that we are become part of His work. We are the body of Christ. And we join Him. We lean into that rescue, that redemption, that reunification. That's the Gospel. It's a bigger story. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The Gospel is more than your ticket to the Super Bowl, right? It's your spot on the team. And everybody's got a job on that team. We got pretty quarterbacks like Zach Page. We got... Big, ugly linemen, most of us. Uh, we got a couple skilled linebackers. We got place kickers like Henry, right? We got, it's just a joke for Henry, sorry. Um, you got a job. You got a spot on the team. All right, are we tracking? Worship, it's everything we do with him. Idolatry, it's anything we do without him. And the gospel, the story of all stories, the story of a king who was and is and will come again to set things right. It's His story. And if we are found in Him, it's our story too. All right, we got one more. Faith. I want you to hear the verse again. Romans 1, 16-17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, I want you to hear it. Because it's the answer to the question we should all be asking. How? Right? I, I, I get what worship is. I get what idolatry is. I'm getting my head around the gospel. But how? How do I walk this out? That walking it out is called faith. Faith is the how. 
And here's what faith is not. It's not sight. The Bible tells us that. Let's update. It's, not, it's not a spreadsheet. It's not a document. It's not a schema. It's not a sermon. What it is, is it's that day-to-day hope and dependence. Day-to-day standing on His strength. There's our hope. In our weakness. That's the dependence. It's day-to-day picking up our cross and following after Him. It's it's day-to-day returning to prayer and asking with great anticipation, Lord, what do you want to do today? Can I go with you? I I was thinking about this this week, and uh, I I I have a great mom and a great dad. And when I was growing up, my dad, maybe this wasn't the most ethical move on his part, but he would wake me up once in a while and say, hey, Matt, you want to skip school and go to work with dad? And you know the answer to this question, right? Yes, yes. My dad worked in the harbor, and uh, I grew up in Long Beach, remember? And so we'd all, you know, you're always leaving early. We'd stop. He'd usually get me a donut and a coffee. And then we'd, we'd drive over the Gerald Desmond Bridge, and we'd drive over the Vincent Thomas Bridge, and it was always foggy, and you're down there with the ships and the tugboats, and we'd get out on the docks. And my dad worked with these characters. I mean, salty longshoremen and teamsters and rough dudes. Dudes with names like Red Ray and Bud Burt and Roosevelt Johnson. Roosevelt was my favorite. Um, don't call him Rosie. He'd punch you. Um, and and I, I, would, I would just go along with my dad, sit in his car, watching him talk to these guys. He'd run me into offices, leave me for hours at a time with copy paper and highlighters and come back and grab me and say, get in the car again. And we'd go. And, just, and man, I, I was happy. I don't know what I was doing. I don't, I don't know. I, but I was with my dad. I was with my dad. I want us to think about that. What if we began to pray, pray a prayer like that every day? Dad, can I go to work with you? Can I go to work with you? I want us to give a picture, not just from uh, Long Beach, but from the book. We're back in Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba, and he went down to Haran, and he came to a certain place and stared there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones in that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is a gate of heaven. All right, a little bit of context, right? If you know your Bible, you know that just before this episode, Jacob, whose name means usurper or heel catcher, I know that because I named my kid Jacob and I wrestled with that for a while. And when he's not being so good, I'll say, you little usurper, you little heel catcher, you know. But, but, but I also know how radically 
transform Jacob's life was. And that's the hope that I named my son after. But just before this, Jacob had constructed this elaborate lie to steal his brother's birthright and obtain his father's blessing. In the passage just before this one. And in, in so doing, he betrays the brother. He burns down the whole relationship. But he also tricks his father and he gets that blessing and the instructions to go find a wife in Haran. All right? So think about this. Jacob has deep shame in the rearview mirror, but he has kind of a, a, a glimmer of hope about the windshield. Does, does that resonate with anyone? Do you have deep shame if you think about the rear view? Is there maybe still a glimmer of hope out there on the horizon? We pick up the story and Jacob is moving. But he's tired, and so he decides to stop in this place, and he's real tired because he puts his head down on a rock, right? Moving and tired. Can anyone relate to that? It's, it's in this moment between that shame and that hope, between this movement and that exhaustion. Not the time you might have chosen, not, not the time you might predict, that the Lord shows up, and he gives Jacob a vision, a ladder, a way to God. He gives him a blessing. You and your family will be blessed. He gives him a promise. I am with you. I will keep you. And he gives him a life-defining purpose. All families on earth will be blessed through you. How many of us need a vision? A ladder? A way to God? A blessing? A promise? A purpose? Here's the good news. You don't have to walk into the desert tonight and lay your head on a rock. What you need is a clear view of Jesus. Because he's the vision. He's the ladder. He's the way. He's the blessing, the promise, the purpose. And let's revisit those four words we spent time with tonight. He is the only one worthy of our worship. He's the one whose light is so much brighter than any other idol whose shine might catch our eye. He is the one who is the gospel. And he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So I don't, I don't know what you got to do. Get up, get down, get high, get low, get in and out, but get yourself in a place where you can see Jesus. And might I humbly suggest that you might be sitting in that place right now. If you're comfortable with this, I'm, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes here in a minute. And I, I don't want you just to imagine I want you to know that Jesus is in the room with us. I want you to know his presence and his power and his peace as I read his words to you from John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and it will be done for you. By this my excuse me, the, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Pray with me. Lord, would you lead us into a life of worship? Would you teach us and show us and surround us all that it means to abide in you and bear fruit because we do? Would our joy be full? In every circumstance, would our joy be full? And may the glory be yours. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. It's in your name that we trust. The only name we worship. Amen.